All right, Tom, we'll go on to another question from Mike Pinella. Uh, Tom, in the same manner that cold is the lack of heat, is fear the lack of love? Does fear go hand in hand with ego, and does the ego go hand in hand with the PMR experience packet? Finally, do we have ego in NPMR? That is non-physical reality. Um, yes, we have ego anywhere we go. If we are uh, chunks of consciousness and that chunk of consciousness has ego, whether that consciousness is in a dream, in this virtual reality, out of body, um, you know, died here, gone someplace else, you know, whatever, it's still that piece of consciousness and it still has that fear and that ego go with it. The ego doesn't go away just because you, you uh, transition to some other virtual reality frame. You are consistently that same consciousness. Okay, <clears throat> so let's see, in the beginning, we had a set of questions there. In the beginning, uh, what was it? Is love the lack of fear? Is fear the lack of love? Um, I guess it could be said that way. Um, that may be a, an honest thing. If you got rid of all your fear, what's left is love. Okay? If you, uh, I guess, if, if you got rid of all your love, what would be left would be fear. So we could say that either either way that uh, one is a is a is a lack of the other. Um, it's a matter of entropy. You know, if you look at the at the uh, becoming love is lowering your entropy, then high entropy means fear. So a lack of high entropy, if that means low entropy, then that's love. You see, they're they're opposite poles on this entropy scale. One's high entropy, the other's low entropy. So if you have to have a certain amount of entropy and it's not high, then it must be low. If it's not low, then it must be high because those are your only choices. Or it could be just all uh, uniform. You know, maybe it's it all just stays the same. You don't change. And then it's just consistently high or consistently low. And uh, I guess that's really an unstable state. It won't stay like that long. Eventually, it'll move one way or the other based on your choices. But yes, that would be a fair thing to say. And I think another... Another point he was making, too, was does fear necessarily go hand-in-hand hand with ego? And does yes. the ego go hand-in-hand hand with the PMR experience? That's the physical matter uh, no, experience. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not that way. Um, fear and ego are connected. Ego is a product of fear. If you had no fear, you'd have no ego. If you had no fear, you'd have no beliefs. So it's the fear that creates the ego and the beliefs. You wouldn't need a belief and you wouldn't need an ego if you didn't have fear. <clears throat> so that's the connection there. But the ego is not just connected to this, this virtual reality. The ego is connected to the consciousness. The ego and the fear and the belief and the love are all attributes, attributes of a consciousness. They have nothing to do with the virtual reality. So as that consciousness goes to some other virtual reality, it takes along whatever amount of love, fear, ego, and belief that it's got. Now, once you get out of this virtual, out of this particular virtual reality, the kind of beliefs you have, of course, would change because here you have beliefs that have to do with this physical reality and with your interactions within this physical reality. So a lot of those beliefs would change if you were in a different kind of a reality, but the propensity for belief would be the same just like the propensity to, to be self-centered would be the same. And all of those come out of the fear. 
All right, Tom, thank you for that. Um, we're going to go to an MBT forum question from Karen and her dad. Um, they're from El Paso, Texas. Um, Karen says she loved the new experiments lectures. She's a right-brainer but managed to understand a bit and found them fascinating. So I think that's interesting that your physics experiments are understandable to those with a right-brain perspective. Um, she would like to hear you speak more about efficiency, how to become the most efficient at playing the game. How to become more efficient. The way to become efficient at playing the game is to just pay attention. You know, just pay attention to what you're doing and why you're doing it. Why do you feel the way you do? Why do you get upset? Why do you feel angry? Why do you feel happy? Why do you feel joy? You see, what is it that's at the root of these things? And that will help you. That Just that awareness, being aware of, of what you're doing, why you're doing it, what your intent is, that will help more than anything else. That will make it very efficient. If you've already gotten to the point that you understand that fears the problem and loves the answer, once you've gotten to a certain point, then the efficiency is to just stay plugged in. Pay attention to your life, to your choices, to your feelings. Every feeling that's negative comes from a fear. Every feeling that's positive and full of joy comes from caring about other. You see? So once you see these things and begin, then you can begin to see how that fear is limiting you. You can say, well, okay, every time these kinds of things happen, it's just, it's that fear that gets triggered. It's my feeling of inadequacy or, or uh, my, my, you know, being unlovable or whatever the fear is. And here's these 10 or 20 looks like totally different things, but they all go back to that same fear. Now you can start to see what that fear is doing to your life how it's affecting you, how it is uh, you know, changing the way you feel about things, how it's changing your choices. And at that point, that's about as much incentive as anybody should need to grow up, to change. If you see how something is hurting you, then it's not that hard to want to change to stop that process. So just awareness. You know, it's kind of um, um, Alan Watts said, be here now. You know, that's... That's the key idea. Be here now. Be aware of who you are, what you're doing, and why you're doing it, and the effect that it has on yourself and on other people. That will make your growing up process more efficient. All right. Thank you, Tom. Um, another question from Karen and her dad. Um, you mentioned rescue measures to help people learn lessons from LCS. I'd like to hear more about that. Uh, probably referring to... Um, rescue of souls that are having trouble. I think that's what it's referring to. There are these things called, um, I don't know, I don't remember the terminology now, but basically where you uh, go into a meditation state and use your intent to help other people get through the transition process. And basically what that is, is you have, you're playing another you're playing in another virtual reality. It's like you were in world of you were in World of Warcraft, and now you've closed your eyes, meditated, and now you're playing in Sims. Okay, now you have a Sims character, and even though you're an elf in World of Warcraft, 
world of Warcraft, you are uh, meditating there, and now in your meditation, you begin to play Sims. You're in a different reality frame, and that's what's going on here. You have to make decisions to help other people, to find their problem, to be sensitive to their issues, to feel their feelings, to connect with them, to have empathy, and in doing all of those things, it helps you grow up because that's practice doing very helpful things. And you're doing it within the, I don't know how to say this, within the sanitized arena of another virtual reality. So it doesn't actually affect the life you're living in this virtual reality. So the elf, even though he's playing a Sims character now while he's meditating, it doesn't really affect him much back in the world of Warcraft, you see. So he can afford to let go. He can afford to be more um, open, more intuitive, more connected, and not be worried about, you know, who thinks what about me doing this or that, or does it connect, or what am I doing to other people? It's more of a you're freer in that in that game just to be who you are. So it's a very helpful game. It's a very helpful process to help you grow up by giving you tasks that require you to be caring and empathetic. It's a, um, you know, it's like another reality frame in which you can make choices and through those choices, uh, evolve or de-evolve. All right. And uh, one more question, or rather two. Uh, with regard to physical pain and how the conditions for it will leave when we no longer have the need to learn from those conditions, what is the best way to get ex- assistance from the larger consciousness system to relieve our own physical conditions, heal our own bodies or conditions? How do we appropriately approach the LCS to release them? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, the approach is very important. If you approach the LCS with the, oh, I'm having a lot of trouble here. Woe is me. Things are really bad. You know, this happened and that happened and the other things happened and life just sucks here and I don't have a chance because all of these people are always doing this awful stuff to me and I need some help. You see, well, if that's your approach, you're basically saying I'm full of fear. I'm full of ego. My life is, you know, is is, uh, defined in terms of my fear and ego. Help me out. The system can't do much. The reason you're having all those problems is because of all the fear and ego. That person is expecting um, something to come and change the outside world to make them better, you know, to make their life easier. And that's not how you grow up. And that's not how your life gets better is by changing something in the outside world. The way you get better is to change something in your inside world, change yourself. You see, that's where the key is. So if you approach the system with the idea that it's not me, it's just I'm unfortunate and I have all these bad things happening, you know, can you give me some good things? You know, how about somebody gives me some money? How about, uh, you know, I find a, a gold brick, you know, lying in the street tomorrow? You know, that would be a big help. So it's all about having, having the, you know, the outside world do things that are kinder and gentler from your perspective. That's not likely to do much because that's, not really where you need to change. And that's not really where the pain and the struggle is coming from. It only seems that way. So if you approach it on the other side from a, I need to grow up. I need to change. I need to become love. I'm so 
you know, I'm so full of fear and ego and so twisted around the axle. I don't know which way is up. I need some help. Now the system maybe can give you some help if you're able to see it. The system's not going to give you a lecture about the way you should be. That wouldn't be helpful. That's what we talked about earlier. That's an intellectual process. It's not going to help. But the system may give you some choices that pop up that you could reach out and grab. You may or may not. If you do reach out and grab one of those choices and grow up from it, then the system will be working with you. They'll give you another choice and another, and they'll work with you to help you grow up as long as you are engaged with them growing up. But if all you want is somebody to make life easier, that's not likely to happen. Now, you can still modify probability to help make your life easier. You can do that with a focused intent. But when you're full of ego and fear and belief, it's really hard having a, a, a strong intent that's well-focused. It's a difficult thing to do. So you're not as effective in changing things. So your intent and your approach is very important. If you approach with humility, if you approach asking for help, not just fix my problems. See, that's wanting somebody else to do it for you. But if you approach with a, help me grow up, help me deal with the things I have to deal with better. And with an intent to grow up, with some idea what growing up is, then the system will help you. It will do things that will enable you to help yourself. The system's not going to reach down and, and you know rip out some of your uh, high entropy and replace it with low entropy. That won't happen. You have to make choices to grow yourself up. But it can give you those opportunities to make those choices. And when it does that, probably most of the time, the people pass them by. They don't take it. Well, it'll probably do that again and again and again until it says, well, there's no point, and then the system will leave you alone. But if you are paying attention and really want to change and you take some of those opportunities to grow up and the system sees you really trying, the system will try to work with you because it's in the system's benefit. It is to the system's benefit that you grow up. Your growth is its growth because you're a part of it. So the system will help you if you're really able to help yourself. What come, that comes back to an old saying, right, that, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, God helps those who help themselves, right? And so we heard that someplace in my background. But uh, see, that's some of these uh, little chunks of wisdom that actually turn out to be true, <laughs> that you find them in, uh, in religion all the time. And uh, you wonder, well, where'd that come from? You know, but they turn out, actually, that's the way it is. If, you're gonna, if you can help yourself in the sense that you're going to grow up, you're making an effort to do that, you're trying, you're having some success, you're working on it, then the system will help you to do that. If you're not, the system will leave you alone just doing your own juice until you get ready. It can't do anything else. It's not that it's a mean system. It can't force you to grow up. You have to make the choices. Well, Karen's last question is, was Einstein the first to present the idea that everything is connected right down to the tiniest particle? Also, I have always been curious about why some people, Tom Campbell and others, as well as people who lived earlier, such as Mozart, we're so fed by the intelligence from the other side, or somehow they have a gift of concentration that most people do not have. Can you comment on that? Um, well, the first one about Einstein. I don't know whether Einstein was the first to see that everything was connected. Uh, 
certainly, uh, you know, whether he was the first scientist anyway, certainly he wasn't the first person, you know, that goes back to, you know, I don't know, 2500 BC, you know, people knew that we were all connected and understood uh, reality to a large extent uh, very well. So that knowledge has been around a very long time. Now, whether Einstein or somebody else was the first important, major, well-known scientist to state something like that publicly, I don't know. I'm not even so sure that Einstein did, but he did say things like we are connected with, you know, consciousness is part of the solution here. I just don't know how to, I just don't know how to deal with it. You know, so he kind of realized it, but didn't know how to work with it. So can't answer that one now. As to the last question, what was that, Donna? I had that almost in my mind, and is this slipped well, away? Sure. She's referring to people such as yourself and Mozart. They were so, uh, you're yes. so fed by the intelligence from the other side. I mean, that's so apparent yeah. uh, when you that, look at Mozart's biography. <laughs> yeah, it's not that we're fed. Well, I'll talk for myself. I can't talk for Mozart. But it's not that we're fed. It's not that I'm fed by this information. It's not like this information just got poured into me. Like I was selected, you know, to have a download that would give me this information that then I could share with others. You know, it didn't work with me that way at all. Um, you know, maybe some of the people, you know, channeling like uh, Jane Roberts channeling Seth, maybe they could say that, that the information was downloaded to them. Um, the information I get is because it's information I went after. It's information I wanted to know. It's information I sent a query out to the database and they got answers back. Uh, it was my own interest that piqued a lot of it. And, of course, just like I described before, once I had an attitude of growing up and becoming love and lowering entropy and so on, then the system started to go out of its way to help me do that. But, you know, it'll do that to anybody and everybody. Um, you know, it doesn't just pick out special people to do that to. So I don't think there is those special people who get downloads as opposed to the ones that aren't special who don't. I don't think it's like that at all. The downloads are available to anybody and everybody. You just have to be able to make good use of them. And you have to know they're there. You have to be working on growing up. You have to be taking this idea of changing yourself and becoming love seriously. Uh, and I suspect with Mozart, his music probably was a thing of love. It was a thing of lowering entropy. It was an expression of something beautiful that he was working on, something that uh, lowered the entropy of a lot of people who listened to his music. So in that sense, the system may have been working with him through that particular medium. But I don't believe that these people are, are uh, you know, kind of picked out. Well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes they incarnate just to do that thing. You know, sometimes it's a program thing. So that is possible too. But it is available to everybody. And everybody can get more in touch with that kind of information if they want. If they can just get their fear and ego and beliefs out of the way, they'd find that that information would be available to them. If they can use it and if they could... Use it to help other people. 
All right, thank you. Uh, Karen goes on to say, my, my father Mac and I reference MBT almost daily. It has been such a gift to our growth and writing of our own big toes. That's something that your whole my big toe, my being theirs, is all geared towards, right? So we have a couple of questions from Mac. Uh, Karen goes on to say, my 78-year-old father is on his second reading of MBT. It has truly enhanced our discussions. We speak in a second language with MBT acronyms now and have great fun trying to come up with new questions for Tom, which seems to be a challenging feat. My question from my father, Mac can you speak more to the LCS shutting down other side adventures and abilities when the ego becomes too big and reopening them at a later time in life rather than simply limiting them? Well, yes. Again, the uh, larger conscious system wants you to grow up. And if the larger conscious system is helping you increase your entropy because it's you are you're taking you're accessing its databases and in doing so it's blowing your ego up and it's making you more or less likely to grow up because now you're off on an ego trip then it may do either it may just reduce the amount of data that you get, it may throw you some curveballs. In other words, give you some false data, some dramatically false data that makes you look like a fool, perhaps, in front of people, just to help tone you down so you won't be quite so cocky and sure of yourself, uh, help knock your ego down a little bit, or it can just terminate the link until, you know, force you to do other things. Because if you keep working with that, it's just digging yourself into a deeper hole. So if the system thinks you have promise and thinks you have potential and realizes that that uh, you're kind of in a, you know, you're kind of, uh, what, uh, doing it poorly, you're not really making the most of that potential, then it can intervene to do that sort of thing. You know, particularly uh, would come to mind at times that if you want to go manifest a body in some other virtual reality system, so you actually can interact with the people there as one of them, you know, with an avatar that's part of that system. Well, you can do that, but only with permission of the system. If you butt in and do that badly and create problems, then you won't be allowed to do that anymore. You know, it's like your, your uh, visitor's pass, you know, your visa gets revoked and uh, you know you can't go there anymore. So sometimes it's just a turn it off or turn it on. Other times it's just shut it down a little bit, and make it harder. Or, or even other times it's give misinformation and embarrass you with uh, with your uh, with how uh, wonderful you are in your own mind, which means just kind of take the wind out of your ego's sails a little bit. And that's hopefully the idea is not that it's trying to hurt you. It's trying to help you see a bigger picture and grow up. It's doing that to give you opportunity to see the ego and the problems you're creating for yourself and therefore fix the problem. It's not just trying to have fun with you or give you a hard time. All of the things the larger conscious system does are things that are aimed to help you out. Now, sometimes what you need to help you out is a good swift kick. And in that case, the system may do that. You know, it may do something rather dramatic that causes a lot of pain because that's what you need to wake up. 
but it's not causing you that pain because it likes causing people pain and it's really, you know, a, a masochist or, a, a, you know, some kind of evil entity. It's doing that because it thinks it's got a chance to help you see a bigger picture. So, yes, it can it can do any of the things it sees that would be most it probably picks the path that it thinks is most likely to succeed in helping you out, whether it just kind of degrades what you're doing a little or prohibits it or provides misinformation or whatever it does. It judges that that is the most likely way to help you out. But the system wants to help you. And sometimes that makes it do things that uh, aren't what you want. But that's the way it is. You know, sometimes it's like that, right? Sometimes mommy and daddy have to do things to you that you don't want. You know, they lock the gate so you can't play in the street, you know, and that may upset you, but that's the way it is. So that's the way it is in, with the larger conscious system too. It's trying to help. It does what it can and it, it'll do it however way it thinks is best. Yeah. I guess I shouldn't have made that connection to the larger consciousness system and a parent, right? That's pretty, that's uh, probably going to aggravate a whole lot of people. <laughs> Sounds downright religious, but it's not, a, it's uh, just a metaphor, folks, just a metaphor. Well, Tom, I, I don't know about this. I, it's probably doubtful, but have you ever been banned from a, from a reality? <laughs> <laughs> no. I've never been banned from a reality that I was allowed to get into, but I've always been very careful and I always make choices that, that were on the side of caution. Of course. All right. We'll go on to the next question. And this is from Stephen on consciousness and free will. Tom says consciousness and free will are logically inseparable. However, I can quite easily conceive of the following types of consciousness. Consciousness that is conscious of itself but nothing else. Consciousness that is conscious of itself and of things beyond itself. Consciousness that can instigate an act or expression, that is, it has will. Consciousness that can choose from one from more than one actor expression, that is, it has free will. I don't see any logical inconsistency in the existence of any of these various types of consciousness. I would say that there's a confusion there between hmm. awareness and consciousness. You can have awareness without free will. You can be aware of something but have no choices to make. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no choices whatsoever. Your decision space, let's say, is zero. And you're aware of something. Okay. That's just awareness. You have to have a non-zero decision space to be conscious. So consciousness always has choices. That's the definition of consciousness. It makes choices. Okay? A consciousness that doesn't make any choices is not a consciousness. It's just an awareness. So I would differentiate between awareness and consciousness. Awareness can be aware of things, and, and uh, a consciousness not only has to have awareness, but has to also have free will to make choices from the information, you know, choices about the information it gets from its awareness. So it has an awareness, that awareness gives it choices. It can make choices. That's a consciousness. If all it has is awareness, it's not really consciousness. 
So that is how I would, and some of those examples you gave fell into the awareness only side and some of them were in the consciousness side. But that's how I would just, you know, separate those. And that brings up a, a subject like trees. Are trees conscious? Are plants conscious? Well, it's not been shown. Well, you could, you could also could say, you know, are clams conscious? You know, are oysters conscious? Are uh, amoebas conscious? Well, you'd have to show, to show that they're conscious, you'd have to show that they make free will choices. That's a hard thing to show. Because choices, a, a system that does not have free will, can still make choices, but not, you see, not with free will. In other words, uh, an algorithm, an if-then algorithm makes a choice. If this, then that. Whenever this, then that. Well, that's a choice. That's not free will. That's algorithmic. Okay? So there's no free will there. In the animal world, animals have what we call instincts, things they just do. If that, then this. I get this stimulus, I do this response. That's not necessarily free will, you see. That's just what I call hardwired. It's just the, the rule set. It's the hardwiring, the rule set of the way that avatar is made. If you, you know, if I'm a clam and I have my foot out, if I touch that, if a stick goes down and touches that foot, it'll snap back into the shell. Well, is that because there was a free will choice? Oh, something just punched my foot. I better get it in before something happens, you know, before somebody tries to eat that foot. You know, that would be a free will choice. But if it's just hardwired in that touch the foot, the clam pulls the foot in, you see, and it's no, no, no uh, choice at all. It's just a hardwired thing like an algorithm, part of this rule set. Okay, so in, if it's part of the rule set, it's not conscious. That's not a conscious clam. That's not a conscious, uh, you know, amoeba or whatever tree. It's not a conscious tree. It's just hardwired. So that's the difference. But it doesn't mean the tree can't be aware in some vague sense of its surroundings and what's going on, or even in the attitudes that people have toward it. But if it doesn't have any choices to make, it only has rule set reactions, you know, then it's not conscious. That's how I define consciousness, and I believe that's what's causing the problem there, is not seeing the difference between consciousness at least how i define consciousness this is tom campbell's idea of consciousness it's not necessarily the only way one can define consciousness but that's mine and that's how i separate those things that were confusing this person well those examples clarified it very well um he goes on to ask is it possible for learning to occur from observation alone yeah it's possible um you can learn from observation. It doesn't happen that often. You know, observation isn't a strong learning uh, factor, not not as strong as as um, experience. Experience is the strongest uh, learning factor, but you can learn from observation. Matter of fact, the more you learn, the more you grow, the more able you are to learn from observation. Uh, the less you are grown, the, the higher your entropy level is and, and the less evolved you are in a, as far as your, your consciousness goes, the less likely you are to learn from observation. Okay. So, yeah, you can learn from observation. People can see things, understand them, 
and then actually learn, change themselves, grow up because of the way, what they've seen and the way they've seen people act or be, you know, you have, um, you see this all the time with, uh, well, now it's, I guess in this case, it will be hard to separate experience from observation. You could say observation is an experience. So if observation is an experience, then you always learn from experience. All right. So there'd be some people who would argue that point. But I know what he means, the difference between an interactive experience as opposed to just looking at, say, other people having that experience. You know? um, so within the context that I think he's asking about it, uh, yes, you can learn some observation. All right, thank you. Um, the next question is from Polina on GMO food. And uh, I know food has a, a very big part in your theory of how well you can um, connect with your consciousness or or rather mm -hmm. you are your consciousness, but rather um, <clears throat> work with that connection. Um, so Polina would like to know, I would like to hear about GMO food. Is it really dangerous and how and in what aspects? Is there a certain entropy-lowering reason for making humans depend on food for survival? Would it be more efficient to get rid of our need for food and water so we could focus more on our interactions, uh, focus on our interactions more and physical survival less? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that might be a really good thing. It would save us all a lot of money if we didn't have to buy food, but... In any case, that's not likely to happen because we have a rule set. Now, that doesn't mean that some individuals can't uh, uh, bypass that particular rule set. But now we're talking about specific people in specific situations in the margins. We're not talking about the mass of humanity. Um, so rule sets can be broken, onesie twosies, individuals, but uh, generally not in mass. That's a psi uncertainty principle. If that's, you know, if, if you're interested in that, uh, go uh, read, uh, I can't remember where it is, but look up psi uncertainty principle in the index in the books. And you, there's a free book on Google. You can look that up and that'll talk about that issue. But yes, there are, uh, there is a, a lot of connection between your ability to maintain a very tight and precise focus and what you eat. Uh, the, the virtual brain, like the virtual body, sets the constraints on what the consciousness can do with that brain or body. So, you know, the virtual body only has, you know, one leg and one arm, then the consciousness playing that avatar with one arm and one leg is restricted into what it can do. It can't it can't win many races, right? Because you don't win races, at least not uh, running races, you know, with one leg. So it's restricted in what it can do. Well, if your brain chemistry is off, your brain chemistry is not very healthy, then that's a rule set issue. That'll create constraints that the conscious has to work with. Um, and so on, you see. So what's what's going on with your physical system creates constraints for the consciousness. The consciousness playing that avatar can only do those things that the rule set allows its avatar to do. So if you eat food that makes your body not work very well, makes you ill, makes you feel bad, uh, you know, is disruptive of your, of your uh, calmness, then those things will get in the way of you being able to have a calm, 
state. If you uh, eat, now I talk about sugar a lot when it comes to consciousness. Sugar is a, glucose is, a, is energy to the body. It's important for the body. It's important for the brain. It goes, it digests very quickly. If you just eat plain glucose, it's already digested. It goes into the blood almost instantly. And then it gets absorbed by the cells and it changes things. Okay, your, your uh, amount of uh, insulin will go up and down based on what kind of sugar you intake, trying to keep your sugar levels constant. Because if your sugar levels are varying, then your biology is a little unstable. It's not real stable because the glucose is an important part. And if it's in the process of going up and going down and going up and going down, now your mental processes are unstable because your biology and the rule set is unstable as far as that particular avatar's brain. So the consciousness has to deal with that as a constraint. You see, it makes you fuzzy. It makes you not sharp. It makes you dull-witted. Now, if you eat sugar every day, probably 10 times a day, like most everybody does, that dull-witted and not sharp is normal for you. You don't recognize that as anything but normal. Yes, I'm wide awake. No, sugar doesn't bother me. That's because that state of being cloudy in your mind is what you call normal. You're used to that cloudiness and don't see it as cloudiness. You see it as normal. It's just like everybody else, right? Well, if you get rid of the sugar in your diet entirely, completely, not just mostly, because it doesn't take much to do that, then you might not notice because it will be a slow change, but over six months or so, you have no sugar, you look back, You'll see the difference. You'll see the difference in clarity, the sharpness that you get just from making those glucose levels in your system stable. You see, the glucose, when it goes into your system, it'll, it'll make that, that the blood sugar shoot up, and then it goes down, and it overshoots, and then the pancreas changes its mind, goes the other way, it brings it up, and it overshoots. And this process of going up and down and up and down takes a while to damp out. The system doesn't just pull your blood sugar to a, to a level and keep it constant. It's still Excuse fluctuating. Me, sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting. Um, your sound is cutting in and out. My sound is? is? There, it was fluctuating, Justin? No. Not my equipment, so it must make no? me someplace No, you hear it? Of course, it sounds good now that that she stopped you, but it was starting yeah, to I, <laughs> yeah, Okay. Well, maybe it it's was, better. Yeah, well, okay, sometimes, you... sometimes channels, particularly if they're busy with a lot of people, will do that. But all right, I'll start. I'll I'll just kind of go back to where I was. I guess that'll okay. just be an editing problem for for uh, Justin. Uh, if your okay. blood if your blood sugar is fluctuating and moving, even by small amounts, it makes a difference. It makes your your it makes constraints on your consciousness. It's not stable. So you, when your consciousness is trying to make a very precise, very steady intent and thought and hold that focus from the being level and your physical system is in flux, that becomes difficult for the consciousness to hold it steady because the physical 
system, the virtual physical system, sets the constraints on what the consciousness can do with it. So that's really the connection and why food is important and why it's good not to take psychotropic substances, that is, substances that affect your awareness, uh, if you're trying to focus that awareness very precisely and very steadily. It's uh, counterproductive to take things that make it unsteady. How do you feel about the GMOs? Do you feel that that might be one of those? Well, well, the problem with GMO is, the major problem with GMO is, now there's a lot of little specific problems with specific GMOs, but the general problem with GMOs is that they're relatively new. We don't really know what they do. We don't have any serious long-term studies on what's the difference between, you know, health-wise or attitude-wise or, you know, um, uh, consciousness-wise, what's the difference between people who eat this food that's GMO'd versus the people who eat the same food that's not GMO'd? Nobody's ever done that kind of a study. Nobody's done it long-term. What is the, you know, what's the health, what are the health uh, concerns or attributes or risks or whatever of eating this GMO food for 30 years or 40 years. Well, most of them haven't been around 30 or 40 years. So there's just a big question mark as to what will it do to you? How does it make you feel? Is it more or less addictive as a food? Because we know that if a food's addictive, like sugar, it makes it very popular among the people who sell food because all you got to do is put sugar in your food and people are addicted to it. Wow, what could be better for sales than that? So, you know, would somebody uh, trying to GMO food produce a food that was maybe something that, you know, like those advertisements for the corn chip, you can't just, you can't eat just one, you know, that makes you, uh, you know, desire more of it? Well, who knows? We don't know about those things. Uh, there's things are all possible. What about other health risks? Uh, you know, recently there's been a, a very major association of wheat with celiac disease, and in particular with GMO wheat and celiac disease. Now, is that association real? Well, nobody has studied it for 20 years to see. Okay, we have little studies that study, you know, 20 people or 100 people, but and they do it for two weeks or three weeks. That's not good science. So the, part, the point is there just isn't much good science to know whether GMO food is wonderful neutral or harmful and it's like well let's just put it all out there and let everybody eat it and then we'll see if it kills people well we'll stop you know if it doesn't well we'll maybe make more money well if it's somewhere in between well you know maybe we'll just continue to make more money and it won't kill enough people that anybody will notice you know we have all these kinds of attitudes and uh, if you are concerned about being a guinea pig you know eating things that you have no idea what the effects are you know, if that bothers you, then I'd say don't eat GMO foods until they've been around long enough and enough studies have been done to know that they're safe. So anytime you you go out and change things at the cellular level of the food supply that we eat, there's likely to be repercussions. There may be problems because we have evolved over a million years or so, at least our digestion system, probably over 10 million years, it's been evolved to do certain things, to have certain kinds of things ingested and processed 
and you know feed the cells and all that stuff's going on. If you start giving it chemicals and things that it's never had to deal with before, then who knows what the result's going to be. You know, you got to deal with that. All right, people who pump gas for a living breathe a lot of gasoline fumes. Our body was not evolved to breathe gasoline fumes. So what does a body do that's not evolved to handle gasoline fumes do when it inhales a lot of gasoline fumes every day? What does it do? How does it act with that? Well, we know about that one. It gives you cancer. That's what happens. The body can't deal with those chemicals. Not successfully. It processes some of them, but if you have been pumping gas and breathing gas fumes as a career, your probability of getting cancer is way up. Same with inhaling asbestos and other things, you see. So there's lots of things that have an effect on our bodies if they're new. They're new things that the body somehow has to deal with. And the body isn't necessarily prepared to deal with that because the body's working on you know, stuff that you know, a million years or 100,000 years ago is what the body's prepared to deal with. And we give it a lot of new stuff. And it, the biology may be able to deal with the new stuff, may not. Without research to tell you, it's a risk. So, you know, it depends on how risky, how much risk you feel like taking. If you feel like, oh, everybody's got to die of something sometime, so who cares? You know, well, if that's your attitude, then go gobble it up. If you don't have that attitude, if it's like, well, I'm not going to eat that stuff if I don't know what it's going to do to me long term or what it may do to my children or what it may do to my, you know, to the you know, the birth defects or anything else. Well, then best err on the side of caution and let somebody else who doesn't mind taking that risk, you know, go do the research. Anyway, that's what I think about GMO food. It's just no, we don't know what those things will be. We didn't know about gasoline fumes or, or uh, uh, asbestos until what, you know, 30, 40, 50 years after the fact that we were using them. That's when we find out. That's how long these things take often to, uh, you know, cause problems in the body. Most of the GMO stuff isn't 50 years old or even 30 years old. Most of it is pretty current. So we have no idea what it's going to do. We have no idea whether the, Corporations are trying to make your food, you know, addictive so you'll buy their food and not somebody else's, you know. We have no idea what's going on. And it'll be time will tell, research will tell, but that research not only has not been done, but it's still not being done. Nobody particularly wants to do any of that research, you see. So it's not like everybody's out there doing it and we just haven't had time yet to come to conclusions. Nobody is doing the research. The research is let people eat it and see what happens. You see, well, if that that may or may not bother you, but that's the way the research is being done. And, of course, when that's the research, then there's no controls. And nobody, if it turns out that what happens is that you become addicted to a food or that it gives you cancer, well, nobody's going to admit that until somebody forces them to admit it. So it makes it even a longer you know, it makes them even a longer time before we'll have any answers. But the, you know, the people who uh, make that GMO food, they're not interested in doing research to see what the long-term effects are. They're only interested in selling food, making more money. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, you're a consumer, make an informed choice.
that's a good way to uh, approach it, Tom. Uh, the next question we have comes from Wolf. Uh, it's concerning your rats and anti-rats metaphor. I'm a big fan of your fireside chats. I'm also slowly working my way through your trilogy. When reading it, I came upon the concepts of rats and anti-rats. I used the book's index to find all mentions of these terms, but I wasn't able to piece all the information together to form a concept of each that was clear and coherent to me. Can you elaborate on these terms? For example, speaking in terms of set theory, do the sets of rats and anti-rats form the union of all entities? Is the intersection of sets of rats and anti-rats the null set? Yeah, the metaphor... (laughs) wasn't meant to be that complicated. The metaphor simply was saying that you can evolve to either side. You can evolve to the positive side or the negative side. The positive side, I called them rats in that metaphor, and the negative side, I called them anti-rats. Um, anti-rats love chaos. They get their, their um, you know, they like causing trouble, difficulty, high entropy is their thing. You know, they enjoy high entropy. So they're basically, they're fear-based, they're control-based, they're ego-based. So that's just the difference in the way that you can evolve. So you can say, well, all entities have to evolve one way or the other, or they stay neutral. Then you could say that uh, if, if neutral and up are rats and negative is anti-rats, then that would make the set, all of those would be the set of all beings because all beings will fall in that category someplace. So we might, we might do it uh, that way. But it was just a simple metaphor um, to um, allow for the, for the negative. And we have to interact with that negative stuff. Those negative beings are in among us. Actually, we are them sometimes, right? Sometimes they are us when we're feeling negative and acting negative and getting angry and upset and, you know, trying to use people and manipulate things, we're, we're the anti-rat at that point. We're acting negatively. So, you know, uh, we have to deal with people being negative and that having to deal with them means that, you know, they're part of our environment. We need to deal with them with love. We need to deal with them caring. We need to deal with them in a way that doesn't make the problem worse and that doesn't make us become more negative because we're dealing with them and their negativity. See, so it becomes a challenge for us. Their negativity challenges us to grow up. Their ego challenges us to get rid of our own. Their fear challenges us to get rid of our fear. So in that way, you can look at it as a as a growing thing. It's a it's a it's a an example of what not to be and how not to act and of an attitude not to have. So they have a you know so they're part of our process. They're part of our process, and it's not like I've had other people say is it such that you have to have an equal amount of positive and negative so it always balances. No, it's not like that at all. It's not like well we have you know. 10 people full of love, so we need 10 people, you know, full of fear. It's not like that. We would like to have everybody be full of love. But people are allowed to evolve however they do. That's free will. And we need to deal with that that negativity positively and in a way that helps us, doesn't hurt us. So it's a challenge. 
Okay, Wolf is, is, goes on to say he's confused about why control would be considered undesirable. And he quotes a bit of your book. Anti-raps, or those evolving through negative intention, also seek to lower entropy states, also seek lower entropy states of being through internal balance by total control of self, controlling their own personal energy, and approximate external balance by control of what is external to themselves that can be controlled. Those poor Mm -hmm. anti-rats, their potential is dreadfully constrained. Control, driven by desire and need, is a desperate and self-limiting attempt by the disenfranchised defeat to appear powerful. Control is, and always has been, a poor substitute for love. Perhaps I'm not understanding you correctly, but it sounds like self-control and limited control of one's environment are somehow out of step with love. I don't understand how or why this would necessarily be so. Could you explain further? Control is a kind of imposition of the intellect on process. Okay, that's control. Now, in as much as working from the intellect is not what we're trying to do, then control is generally not, you know, not in line for, you know, lowering our entropy. So I mentioned self-control. Now, it's not that all control is evil. It's just that control is not the way to get there. Okay, let's say you have self-control, and inside you feel very angry, but you have the self-control to stuff that anger down and not express it. Okay, now, are you done? Well, you, you don't act angry, so, you know, is that, like, good enough? No, you have to grow out of being angry. You see, it's not about not acting angry. It's not about controlling your anger. It's about getting rid of your anger. So as long as you need to control things, then you're not where you need to be. You need to to get rid of that anger. Now, controlling it, that's helpful to all the people around you. That's more civilizing. Everybody, you know, uh, feels better being around you because you control that anger. True. It's helpful in that way, which makes it, you might say, a positive thing for other people. But it's not helping you grow up unless you're just controlling it as part of the process of getting rid of it. In that case, that's probably a good idea. You feel the anger, you immediately kind of shut it off and say, I I don't want to feel that. But if you quit there, you're not going to grow up any. You have to say, I don't want to express that and hurt other people. I need to deal with this thing and get rid of it. Let me find out the source of that anger and start working on getting rid of that. Okay, now your control is actually a blessing to the people around you, but it still isn't helping you grow up any. You have to do that yourself. So that's the problem. It isn't that self-control is a bad thing. Self-control is a wonderful thing to everybody that has to live with you. Self-control is good for your children to learn so they don't just, you know, blurt out and, you know, throw fits and do things. They need a little self-control. But more than self-control, which is manipulating how you react with others, is to actually grow up to where you don't throw fits anymore because you've outgrown that. Not because you really would like to throw a fit, but you stop yourself from doing it. You see, one of them is a life of acting. The other is a life of being. So, yes, it's nice when we act nicer, but it's actually much better if we are nicer and we don't have to act. 
So that's the problem with control. Now, my example on the people who evolve to the negative. Sometimes people who evolve to the negative have a certain amount of mental power. Well, how do they get that mental power? Now, I'm talking about somebody who uh, uses their intent to, say, modify future probability. So what I do is instead of helping people who have headaches get rid of them, I find people that have a little extra cash, and I give them headaches unless they give me money. All right, give me some money, pay me $10 a week, and I'll see that you don't have headaches. And if you miss a payment, I'll see that you do have headaches. Oh, and I'm going to give your children headaches too. And, you know, maybe I'll make you ill. So if you want to not be made ill, then you need to pay me money. You see, this is someone who has evolved some capacity to modify future probability with a strong and steady intent, using it for a very negative purpose. Well, that's what I was talking about there, that you can, just through control, you can control your, you know, you can learn to meditate. You can be a negative person who meditates a lot and learn to control your thoughts. Not because you're growing up or becoming love, just because by force of will you are controlling your thoughts. You still have will. That will still has force, and you can control things. Control your thoughts. Practice on your meditation. Practice on using your intent to modify future probability, and you can get better at it, even if you're doing it from a negative viewpoint. You can get better at it. The problem is, why I said those poor anti-rats, they're very limited, is that because you have this ego and fear inside you that you're controlling and stuffing down while you're meditating, that will limit you. Because of that fear and ego, you're not going to get but so good at it. You may be able to give people headaches. You may be able to even make them sick some if you have the right circumstance, the right amount of fear in that other person, you know, and other things to help you. But you're very limited because your own ego and fear limit you, get in the way. Ego and fear is self-destructive. You can't get but so good on that negative path. Fact is, even if you work at it and work at it and work at it, you'll never be but a tiny fraction as good who's somebody evolving those same skills on a positive path. You see, you'll never, you don't have the potential to go very far with it. You're always going to be a, you know, a, a minor player in the modifying future reality game if you're on the negative side. But now if you're the only player and everybody else around you doesn't have any focus at all, now you seem like a big dangerous fish in their little pond. But if you swim in a bigger pond where there are people that have developed those skills to the positive side, you're just a little fish in their pond. So anyway, that's really what I meant with the anti-rat uh, thing and the using control to uh, uh, evolve lower entropy on the negative side. By that lower entropy, I don't mean toward love. I mean just uh, uh, less disturbance in the thoughts, learning how to meditate, learning how to focus your intent, forcing the thoughts out of your mind by, by force of will rather than learning how to just empty your mind and letting it be empty. It's a forced thing rather than a learned thing or a, or a change at the being level. 
So that was my point there. And, and it's not that all control is awful all the time. Control is very civilizing, but it doesn't lead to anything valuable for yourself. If you just are controlling yourself, you have to change yourself. It's a symptom. You see, it's a, it's a way of modifying symptoms, but it doesn't actually affect causes.